father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious, the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm cool. You're Joanna. My name is Joanna. It's not actually cool. But, you know what is cool? The Lord of the Rings news for today. Okay, what do we got? So remember when the one ring.net was saying that the new Amazon show was going to be about young Aragorn? I remember you telling me that a few months ago, yes. It was several months ago. It was when Solo came out. It was a while ago. And it was also not true. Oh, really? Evidently. So Amazon in recent months has been teasing mm-hmm. the content of its uh, proposed Lord of the Rings show. Sure. By posting a series of maps. And from these maps, you are intended to deduce what the show is going to be about. The latest map that they posted was a map of Numenor. Okay. And then they gave... What more or less amounts to an official announcement that their show is going to be set in the Second Age. More or less. What does that mean? Uh, I mean, they tweeted, welcome to the Second Age. Oh, okay. Okay. After posting a a map of Numenor. Seems pretty airtight to me. (laughs) Yes, yes. So I I liked the idea of a show focusing on Aragorn, but I actually like this idea better. I think that you can get greater breadth and depth than you would get if you were focusing on just one guy. Sure. And also a lot of people don't know Numenor, so they're familiar with the setting. They're familiar with Tolkien's world, but it's going to be completely new stories that nobody has seen or heard before. Also, the fall of Numenor has one hell of a dramatic arc. That's going to be a good finale. Yeah, yeah, so I'm excited about it. So, with that in mind, I thought I would focus on Numenor for a little while. And by a little while, I mean, like, at least this week and next week, and then after that, who knows, because, like, I don't plan ahead because I'm... A true professional. Okay. Yeah, but before we get into that, do you have any Star Wars news? I was hoping you'd ask, but no, I don't. <laughs> then why were you hoping I'd ask? Just so I could say no. And say I no. wanted a chance to talk and say words, and so I wanted to say no, I don't. You wanted the chance to talk and say word. 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 I mean, honestly, it's all the same news we've seen. Like People are like, oh, this just in. Kylo Ren's going to wear a mask in episode nine. He wore a mask in episode seven. And in eight briefly. So like... <laughs> Kylo Ren wears masks. This is not news. Like, oh, this is we huge. This is huge. Shot. This is huge. Because the action figure that came out of episode 9, Kylo, he's got a mask on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But action figures aren't always that accurate. You, now, what you don't know about nerd culture, maybe you don't spend enough time in this corner of the world like I do, but a lot of leaks nowadays about characters and appearances comes from toys coming out before the movie comes out. Really? Yeah. So Don't like, you think they want to be a little bit more careful about managing that stuff? I think Preventing it's, leaks? I think it's possibly on purpose all the time to get people hyped. But yeah, a lot of the stuff from episode 7 was leaked in toy form Whoa. ahead of time. Like what the characters would look like, what their new outfits would be, who these new people were playing was speculated from the very toys that they sold. Anyway, should we talk about Numenor? If that's what you want to do, I mean, sure. That's I what I want to do on a podcast that's about Lord of the Rings, shockingly. I want to talk about Lord of the Rings, or at least Middle Earth. What's stopping you then? Nothing. Your bad attitude, mostly, but I'm just going to ignore I, it and power Is this a bad through. attitude? Yes. How can I have a bad attitude? People can't see your face right now. You're making the stinkiest face. Like you are a cat and you just smelled a lemon-scented wet wipe. <laughs> yeah, I might have. And I think it was you. What? I'm a lemon-scented wet wipe? Well, that's the reaction I have to you. 
like metaphorically me like it's one of those sat analogies right so it's like i am to you as cat is to lemon wipe Mm. so Mm. keep talking Mm. lemon wipe Mm. all right well anywho today we're covering the story of aldarian and horrendous and when I told you that that's what this week's topic would be, you said the name Aldarian sounded familiar and asked if that was Aragorn and Arwen's son. But no, Aragorn and Arwen's son is Eldarian, E-L-D-A-R-I-O-N with an E. It's okay, you can still call me a brain genius for remembering that. Actually, Ryan, you have heard of Aldarian and Arendus before. Have I? Yeah, do you remember when we discussed the queens of Numenor? Yes. Do you remember Ankalime, the queen who hated men and loved sheep? I do. Aldarian and Arendis are her parents. Oh, okay. Um, I did mention that their relationship didn't go so well, but you don't know the half of it. Yeah, it was a whole thing where, like, was that when her dad left? On her, like, yeah. On right her after birthday. Her, after her fourth birthday. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, so it's this jerk. It's this, this jerk. This deadbeat dad. You actually have no idea. He is such an ass. I think as we go through this story, there's like this 11th hour reveal that's supposed to like kind of redeem him. And like it kind of does, but he's also just an ass. Aww. So get ready for ass. This episode's going to be full of ass. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and call the relationship between Aldarian and Arendis, like, basically the worst relationship in Tolkien. Okay. It is hellish. And actually, on second thought, it might be the second worst, because the worst is probably Ankalime's marriage to Halakar, but we'll get to that later. Okay. Is that going to be part of the story as well? It is. Yes. All right. Now, before we dive into Aldarian and Arendis, let's review the geography of Numenor a little. Great. Pull your maps out, everybody. Ugh, I'll keep look. it short and sweet. Well, short. I don't know if this kind of thing can ever be considered sweet. I love this visual narrative. So right? I'm sure you remember that the island was shaped like a star, right? Yes, I remember that part. And each point of the star was its own region. Yes. So we have Forastar, or the Northlands, which was rocky, infertile, and had lots of eagles. Okay. Andustar, the Westlands, which had some fertile bits, lots of woods, and also the Bay of Aldana, which was where the elves of Tol Eresea would dock. If you remember, the elves of Tol Eresea, at least early on, would visit Numenor a lot. Yes. Okay. There was Hjarnastar, the southwest lands, which was uh, mountainous in the west, and then further inland there were vineyards. So that's where everyone was getting crunk. There was Shadowstar, the southeast lands, which had Trees all over the place, including one that was supposedly descended from Laurelin, the Golden Tree of Valinor, but actually it wasn't. Is there going to be a test about this on Monday? There is absolutely not going to be a test on this. You can forget it two seconds after this podcast if you want, but I hope that not all of our listeners do. Score! Also in Star was lumber for shipbuilding, which will become more relevant than you might anticipate. And then Star, the Eastlands, was cool. I, I think when I wrote the time I was referring to the weather, but I don't know. Okay. It's cool. Lots of grain. Sorry, Teach, wasn't paying attention. I was tech-decking all over my desk. <laughs> Please don't tech-deck in the year of our world. Please don't tech-deck in any year. I'm grinding the edge. Even if you get a time machine and you go back to 1999, I would argue that you still should not tech-deck. Social studies blows. Tech-deck rules. Tech-deck and bloody knuckles. Yeah. That was like basically all 8th grade boys cared about in 2000, as far as I can tell. In the center of the star-shaped island was a sixth region called Mittelmar. Sounds like the middle Mar, well, if you it ask was, me. It was, it was, it was the middlest Mar, the middlemost Mar, and it was a land of grasslands and very few trees. Just kind of flat. Yeah. It was also the center of Numenorean civilization, in part because it contained Menel Tarma, which was the holy mountain where the Numenoreans worshipped Iluvatar. And this mountain was a bitch to climb, but climb it they did at least three times a year. And these three times corresponded with their three biggest religious holidays, Eru Kierme, which took place in early spring, 
Ero Leitale, which took place in Midsummer, and Hanukkah, and Hanukkah, and 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 Rosh Hashanah. Oh, good. <laughs> and Ero Hantala, which took place at the end of autumn. All right, neat. So during those times, the king or queen of the Numenorians would ascend the mountain accompanied by a great mass of people dressed all in white and wearing garlands, and everyone was dead silent. Sounds like a freaking party to me. Yeah, sounds real fun. And yeah, then, not. once all these silent, white-berobed folks got to the top of the mountain, three eagles would always come and stare at them. It's just one of those what? weird Numenorian things. Are we talking like giant Middle-earth Middle eagles? They were at least somewhat magical. Or so it is believed. What was the purpose of this? Um, they were sent by Manwe, just to, like, I guess, keep an eye on things. Check on the people. I guess maybe make sure nobody was talking on now, Silent Mountain. This might seem obvious, but why didn't the eagles just fly down to town and look at them there? Cut out the middleman. Bring the eagle to them. What do you mean? So just gather in town, wear white, be quiet. Eagle comes to you, looks at you, flies back to Manwe. I mean, it does. <laughs> Reports, reports the info. <laughs> to, to properly worship Iluvatar on these holy days, you actually had to ascend his holy mountain. Ah. You could just wear white. Wearing white wasn't the worship part. Is Iluvatar up there? No, it's just it's, symbolic. Then what's the point? It's just symbolic, Ryan. It's I don't just, get symbolism. It's just, I know you don't, as you're proving right now. And I don't get eagles staring at people, but that's what happened. Now, the top of this weird silent mountain was flat and had no temple or buildings of any kind. Until, that is, Sauron set up his cult of Morgoth. Uh, I see. But that's another story. That's thousands of years after the story we're going to tell today. After he gets the zoning laws changed. <laughs> yeah, he has to. So, and I also wonder where the eagles were on that one, because presumably they were staring at him while he was building the temple. Are they always up there? They're only up there, as far as I can tell, when, like, people are going up there. So he probably went on the off-season. Maybe. Do you think they only go on the three religious holidays and the rest of the time they assume? No, because you were free to climb the mountain anytime you wanted, not just on the religious holidays. But would you see an eagle up there all the time? Yes. There would always be three eagles staring at you, Ryan. This is very explicit in the text. I don't think that's true. It is true. I will provide textual evidence I don't, I think to you and I, a double-spaced typed essay of at least eight pages in length. I think you're BSing me, but let's continue. No, it is absolutely true. Now, once the king or queen got to the top, they would deliver an address. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Sounds like a fun holiday. So you go up the mountain, you don't talk, some eagles look at you, somebody gives a speech, and then you leave? Yes. And this was fun? Well, I used to think Lent was the most unfun religious holiday, but at least during Lent you get to eat spaghetti at church on Wednesday nights. Well, Lent is like, it's defined by what you can't do. This is like... Also defined by what you can't do. You can't talk, and you can't not get stared at by eagles. Okay, I'm not worried about the eagle part. I'm just like... Yeah, I guess there's some. this is short and there's something to do. It's not like it's like all 40 days of walking up a mountain, right? I don't know how long it took, but it was apparently a real pain in the ass to climb. Hmm. It took ages. Did you have to give up anime when you climbed the mountain to see <laughs> Luvatar? You don't have to come for my life like that. I'm you just, know that. <laughs> you bring up your own life constantly on this show, and I'm just wondering, like, why not that? Why is that off, why is it off limits? Because I don't want to remember the time I gave up anime for Lent in seventh grade and then didn't even succeed. <laughs> Joanna gave up anime for Lent and did not succeed. I accidentally, it was like literally two days before Lent ended, and I accidentally watched Dragon Ball Z on the international channel. Quote unquote, accidentally. It was an accident. Okay. It was an All accident, right. Ryan! I'm very religious. Tell Iluvatar that. Now, uh, whatever, moving on. So, hopefully you remember that the first king of Numenor was Elros, the brother of Elrond. Of course, everyone knows that. And both Elros and Elrond were given the choice between living as elves or living as men. And while Elrond chose to be an elf, Elros chose to be a man. 
Wrong choice. Well, yeah, in the short term and even the immediate long term, this seems to be a dumb choice. I just know, like, how men act in the second age. They're dumb as heck. Yeah, yeah. The Manish Kingdom over which Elros ruled kind of beefed it and sank into the ocean. Right. So it does seem like his brother made the wiser church, but, you know. Nice kingdom, idiot. Be a shame if anything happened to it. Yeah. (laughs) I guess the Numenorians, though, do get the last laugh at the end of the Third Age when Aragorn comes to power, though. That's true. In a way, right? Just have to wait several thousand years to redeem themselves. They're playing the long game. Anyway, the law on Numenor was that every king and queen had to be a descendant of Elros. Okay. The story of Aldarion and Arendis begins with Aldarion's father, Meneldur, the fifth king of Numenor. Now, Meneldur was a smart guy, a good guy, a guy who was really into the stars. As in, like, astronomy, not astrology. He wasn't out there blaming everything on being a Virgo. Okay. <laughs> just, he, he liked constellations. He made an observatory. Well, he's just a fan of stars. He's just a star fan. So, he liked stars, but you know what he just did not get? Girls, am I right? No, boats. Oh, boats? He did not get, like, what's even the big deal about boats? It's like, look at me, I'm traveling on water instead of land. Like, he just didn't care about that. What didn't he look good about Like, he saw, well, he just would see a boat and it was just like, I don't even care. I don't know. I see a boat, I'm like, yeah, it's a boat. It's a boat, like, whatever. Like, it doesn't, yeah. Did he have, like, animosity toward the boats? No, he just didn't care about them. All right, that's fine. He just didn't care. However, he happened to marry a woman, Almarian, whose dad was a shipbuilder and a mariner. Well, that's a problem. Well, their, their dad and him are have nothing to talk about. They'll be sitting quietly on the couch and like, he'll be like, so you like boats? And he'll be like, I guess. Yeah. I just, you know, they sure are a thing that exists. Hey, you like stars? Nope, I'm only a boatman. Oh, I'm only a star man. Get you another beer? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like most meetings with your, you know, significant other's family go for the first time. Unfortunately for Meneldor, when his son Aldarion was born, Aldarion took after his grandpa much more so than his dad. So he's a boat guy instead of a star man. Yes, essentially Aldarion's attitude can be summed up thusly. All right. Aldarion's kind of a chill bro, huh? He was, he kept it real smooth. He's a smooth boy. Peanut butter smooth. Yacht rock. Wow, that's beautiful. That's the that's song of his people. That is the song of his people. Well, his people, as you will see, he expands his people greatly. He, okay. He actually makes, like, a people. But. Whoa, all right. Now, as a kid, Aldarion spent a lot of time hanging out in the North Country with his grandpa, Vantur, and going on little voyages. So before he was even fully grown, he was captaining fully crewed ships. And his dad's like, hey, buddy, I got you a, a new telescope so you can become the astronomer you always want to be. And he's like, that's not my dream, Dad. That's yours. I'm going to hang with Grandpa. I'm going on a sailboat. You're like more close to the truth there than you know. I also have to believe that him captaining fully crewed ships as a teenager might have had something to do with the fact that his grandpa owned the ships and paid the crews, but That's... whatever. Nepotism aside. Yeah, for real. Aldarion was just really good at boats. And grandpa's boat. So when Aldarion turned 25, which was the age of adulthood in Numenor, mm-hmm. Vantor decided to mark it by taking Aldarion on a voyage to Middle-earth. Sounds cool. Yeah, well, cooler than you know, because keep in mind, sailing from Numenor to Middle-earth was still a really special thing at this point. Uh, it was only about a hundred years before that Numenorians managed the voyage to Endor for the very first time. Right. What's fun about this story is that all the men left in Middle-earth had not participated in the war against Morgoth 
600 years previously, and weren't even really sure what had gone down, and thought that all the men in the West had just, like, died or something, and that's why they had disappeared. Uh, meanwhile, the Numenorians thought that all the men left in Middle-Earth had stayed because they were Morgoth's minions. So when the Numenorians first showed up, the men on Middle-Earth were uh, nervous because they thought they were all ghosts. And the ah. Numenorians were nervous because they thought the men of Middle-Earth were all, like, super evil. I repeat, Middle-Earth men of the Second Age, dumb, dumb, dumb. Dum 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 dum. Yes, but eventually, though, after they met, they realized they were more alike than they were different. Well, they're the same guys. They just were separated for hundred years. I mean, the Numenorians lived hundreds of years, had highly advanced technology because they were constantly getting visits from the elves of Tolarisaia, and were God's chosen people. But otherwise, exactly the same. And the Numenorians too. They were like a head taller than everyone, right? <laughs> you're thinking of a you're thinking of a steel door's dad who was just unreasonably large. I thought all Numenorians were Un- big. Unconscionably large. I think they were all tall, but like there weren't that many that were over eight feet okay, tall. Okay, okay. He was just like completely uncalled for. Now, typically, when the Numenorians visited Middle-earth, they would drop in on two people. One was Gilgalad, the elven king, which mm-hmm. was fortunate because he'd later save their asses when their island sank thousands of years later. Okay. The other was Círdan the shipwright. Oh, I remember him. Right? Boatmaker extraordinaire. And oh. you can guess how obsessed Aldarian got with him. I bet he's really into his work. Yeah, yeah. Círdan was like senpai yeah, buddy. for him. But before he could visit young Middle-earth, young Aldarian... Had to get his dad's permission. No, at this stage, actually, Manaldur was overall a good dad and a good guy, so he told Aldarian to do as his heart commanded. Oh, follow your dreams, son. Yes, but on the inside, he was like, I've got a bad feeling about this. He'll get back to stars eventually. Just He's got to get this out of his system, and then he'll come back and be an astronomer like his old pop. Right. Well, not so much, because actually his bad feeling was entirely justified. Aldarian subsequently went on an unending string of multi-year voyages to Middle-earth and pretty much neglected his family for the next decade and a half. Yes, this becomes, as you will see in the story, a lifelong habit with Aldarian, because his mindset essentially boils down to... Oh, man. You know, he's, yep. just, he's just living on island time. That's all. He is living. He's actually... Get, get ready. Wait till you hear where he actually ends up living. Okay. It's very on brand. Is it Margaritaville? No, it's very on brand. Though. Okay. When he was about 40, Aldarian got all his sailing bros together and created the Guild of Venturers. That's a great name. I like that. Yeah, it attracted strapping young men from all over Numenor. Oh, yes, a bunch of swashbuckling young lads looking for new lands yes. and adventures across the globe. So he basically abandoned all of his duties as the uh, heir apparent to the throne to hang out with his bros on boats. Also, by the way, Aldarion was so obsessed with boats that he decided he needed to live on one, so he made himself a houseboat called Ayambar. Oh, cool. He wasn't living with his family anymore, he was just living on a boat. Yeah, I follow maritime law out here. Now, Menaldur tried his level best to be supportive, but man, he just did not get it. Aldarian would start talking about sailing, and Manaldur would feign interest, but on the inside he was like, Oh my god, I don't care. And he also worried that by giving Aldarian permission to sail to Middle-earth, he had sown the seeds of restlessness in his son. Well, he's become a little rich yacht boy adventureman. Yeah, he basically has. Uh, Menaldur also worried that he might have inadvertently turned his son into a colonizer, because in Menaldur's mind, sailing on boats was the first step toward imperialism. I mean, he's not wrong. It's fair. It's fair. It's fair. You show me one white person who has a yacht, and I will show you a colonizer. Like, it's more soft colonization these days not actually staking a claim but if you go to like any of those little islands in like the west indies it's it's like 
It's just Sandals Resorts all the it's way down. It's just Sandals Resorts all the way down. Yeah, exactly. So he honestly thought Eldarion was going to try to colonize Middle Earth or something. Uh, he was like, but son, have you tried stars? And he's, he tightens the little neckerchief of the sailor costume. He's like, no, Pop. I'm a sailman. Yep, he said, no stars, only boats. Boats, please. So Meneldor and his son wound up estranged. At this point, Menaldor stopped being supportive and started being real. <laughs> he puts a strict limit on how many trees could be cut down to make boats, for instance. And in response, Aldarian started getting lumber from Middle-earth, to which Menaldor was like, Oh shit, I forgot there were trees in Middle-earth too. God dang it. I, do, I, I thought it was just like flat. Well, I mean, like where he lived was flat. So maybe he was like... Trees are actually super rare, but then it turns out they're not. They're everywhere, dude. They're everywhere, dude. Sorry. So his next tactic was a a little bit of a leap. It was to officially name Aldarian his heir to the throne. Okay, so he's kind of forced back into daddy's circle. Yes. Uh, This actually worked a little bit. So uh, father and son were reconciled, and the court held a big party in Aldarian's honor. Cool. One of the guests at that party was none other than... Orendis. Who was horrendous in appearance. No, she was super hot. A mega babe? She had, she's a mega, she was massive babage. She had dark eyes, dark hair. She was a, a raven-haired beauty and, and uh, also she was pretty well off. Mondo. Mondo. Mondo rich, Mondo hot. She had huge tracts of land. <laughs> and <laughs> the only problem was that she wasn't of the line of Elros, so she wasn't as long-lived as Aldarian and his kind. So well, that's kind of, but you know, but you know. I mean, still pretty long-lived compared to most men. Sure. But not as long-lived. So, however, unfortunately, despite how hot she was, Aldarian was such a boat fiend that he didn't really notice. But his mom did. Okay. His mom's like, this isn't like a nice little package here. Let's see if I can set her up with my my poor, misguided son. He's always off sailing around the world. When's he going to settle down and make his mama happy? Oh, this pretty babe will make him really, uh, it'll make him a real man, won't won't she? She just wanted grandbabies. I just want to feed you, Eldarian. Why did you ever come by? I just want to feed you. So like most mothers, Almarian really wanted her son to meet a nice girl and settle down. Orendis, for her part, thought Eldarian was also a pretty tight little package. So Almarian accepted Orendis into her household, whatever that means. I don't know if, like, she was just, like, hanging out or if she had a job to do. Like, was she a lady-in-waiting or was she, like, what was she doing? I don't know. I don't think it matters. She, like, adopted her or something. I don't know how it works. Well, kind I don't of, understand how rich people work. You know, okay? like how in, like, Game of Thrones they have, like, Theon living yes, in? Yes, but he was a strategic hostage. That okay. was, like, part of the conditions. So, like, his family wouldn't violate the treaty sure. okay. with, the, with the king in the north. It worked really well. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, it worked out so great for Theon, too. Everyone involved. Um, yes. Omarion would strategically, like, bring Arendis with her when she knew she was going to run into her son. Oh, look who I ran into on the way to Asare. Right? It's, like, not a very subtle hint, except apparently it was too subtle for Aldarian. Like, sorry, I was thinking about boats. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. I was looking at pontoons, pedal boats. Catamarangs. I had this idea, like, what if you could, like, sit in the boat and, like, paddle your feet and it would go? Is that crazy? Or, like, does that sound good? And everybody's just like, I don't know. Aldarian, I don't know. Nobody cares. What if it made a shape like a bird? Like a, like a swan or something? Yeah, cool, man. Oh, man, I just love boats. <laughs> it's, like, basically the extent of his conversational prowess. Mm-hmm. I have to say, though, 
When Almarian and Arendis came to see Eldarion off on his next voyage, Eldarion did look at Arendis. Whoa, progress! Whoa, so he, I mean, he was looking at a yacht, checking out its cool lines, its smooth like, exterior. Oh, such nice, smooth curves on that baby. And, and his eyes kind of wandered. Like, like, oh yeah! His eyes wandered over from the sails and the mast and the port and the bow over to this, this fine young lady standing there, and he's like, Oh yeah, she's not bad either, I she's, guess. She's kind of boat-like. She's kind of boat-like. Well, he did say that he, quote, divined the strength that laid conceal in her. Got same same thing, yeah. boat-like strength. Boat-like strength. You know what else has strength concealed within a boat? Like, what? maybe if he divined that if Arendis hit an iceberg, she would not sink. She'd probably be fine. She'd probably be totally fine. So he then told his mother, quote, There are fairer things in Armenelos which was where the royal family lived, than a man could find elsewhere, even in the lands of the Eldar. But mariners are men of two minds at war with themselves, and the desire of the sea still holds me. I'm married to the sea, Mom. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what he thought. So anyway, hearing this bit about, quote, fairer things in Armenelos, Arendus was like, oh my god, was he talking about me? I'm freaking out. Do you think he likes me? Like, do you really think he likes me? And she was completely besotted with him after that, and although many suitors approached during the seven years that Eldarion was away, she rejected all of them. She's waiting for her, wait till her husband returns she's from away. the sea. She's hopelessly devoted. So this voyage of his was seven years, which was even longer than his previous voyages. And when he came back, his dad was pissed. So Eldarion brought all kinds of gold and stuff from Middle Earth, but Meneldor was pretty adamant that he'd rather have his son at home with him. Also, when was Eldarion going to settle down and make some grandbabies? Time's so, ticking, buddy. Aldarian responded that he was only going to get married when he absolutely had to. He also spatted some stuff about how the best mariner is one with no ties to the land holding him back. To which Meneldrew was like, oh my god, Aldarian, seriously, the only woman you've ever talked to is your mom! My son is a major dork. Yeah, which he was. This is true. So, but unfortunately, Aldarian didn't really care. He just wanted to party with his bros on his houseboat. His mood at the time was pretty much the following. Seems like this, there's not that many moods he has. He's <laughs> basically a one mood dude. One track mind, one mood dude. I mean, as far as moods go, it's not a bad one. I mean, it's like, it's very like relaxed, laid back. He's just living on island time, that's all. See, I feel like, okay, so I grew up on, on a lake. How can I even like describe this culture? Maybe you, you have this in other states, not just Michigan. But we have like a lot of lakes here. And like a lot of times, the people who live around lakes tend to be like, somewhat trashy like a lot of like alcoholics and people who like tool around on their boats listening to like you know van halen and like just pounding beers yeah and, yeah you know like shirts off and then driving around on golf carts with like a six-pack on the seat next to them I mean, this is a very michigan character you're describing yeah he's basically that he's okay. basically that that's I, essentially i can picture that sure like he's basically my whole childhood is people who are just, like, <laughs> really into a boats and b miller light anywho so <laughs> Not long after this, Aldarian decided to, surprise, surprise, go on another voyage. But this time, Meneldor was determined that he was really going to stick it to him. So there was this tradition in Numenor at the time that before men set off on a voyage, a woman would come hang a tree branch on the prow of the ship, which was supposed to be good luck. Of course. And actually, this branch was from a special tree that thrived on sea air and thus didn't wilt even after years at sea. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. But Meneldor forbid all the women of his family to put a branch on Aldarion's boat. However, he uh, did not explicitly forbid Arendis. She's going to do it. 
Yes, the morning of Eldarion's departure, Orendis showed up with the branch and explained that while the branch was bestowed with the queen's blessing, it was actually Orendis's idea. This finally got Eldarion's attention. <laughs> so he was very, very touched by this branch. So that just proves that the quickest way to a man's heart is through putting a branch on his boat. I like how his two, like, most, like, impactful interactions with Orendis are both on the docks. <laughs> In front of boats. As far as I can tell, that is the only circumstance under which, like, their courtship occurs. So, when he returned years later, Aldarian, out of gratitude, brought Arendis a big old diamond. Cool. And he said it was just to say thank you for her kindness, but Meneldor was like, are you sure you don't want to just get married? And Aldarian was like, what? No, that's not what this is about. I brought her a diamond, but I don't want to get married. Ugh. We're just friends, Dad. Jeez. So, Tolkien actually says that... <laughs> This is so childish. Yeah. Eldarion was cold toward Orendis for a while just so people wouldn't think he was going to marry her. What a cool guy. And when I say cold, I mean he decided to go on another voyage that lasted 10 oh years. Oh my, that's really cold. <laughs> so, this evidently, though, gave him time to cool down because when he got back to Numenor, he was like, all right, maybe that was a little rash to be gone for like 10 years. Where's Orendis? But Arendis was nowhere to be found. She had finally given up and gone back to her parents' house. Which, like, after multiple decades of waiting around for this guy and giving him, like, probably the nicest branch she could find. Yeah. You can't blame her. Right. Aldarian didn't want to actively go to her parents' house to talk to her. Because according to Numenorean culture, if he did that, he would have to ask her to marry him. And that was still too big of a step for him. Fortunately, though, he happened to bump into her riding in the woods one day. That's convenient. And he saw that she was wearing the diamond he'd given her. Aha. Uh-huh. So seeing her again, Aldarian, quote, felt the emptiness of his days. And he decided he really would ask her father for her hand in marriage. And so begins the most hellish engagement in Tolkien's entire universe, which we will discuss next week. Oh, man. It is awful. It is awful. Like, you know how you have those friends where their relationship is like a total train wreck and you're like, God, you guys are Just so obviously not right God. for each other. Please break up. This Jeez. is so tedious to even watch from the outside. But they're like, but no, I mean, he drives me crazy, but I love him. Or like, yeah, you know, she's like kind of hard to get along with, but I, I know she loves me. I love her. I just think like we're going to make it through. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly that. That sucks. It it sucks. It sucks. And it goes on for a really, really, really long time. I'm going to have to try and, like, figure out ways to condense and simplify all the many, many fights they have. I'm looking forward to it. It's out of control. Sounds like... So... Here, I got one more song that maybe how his mood changed after he started hanging out with Arendis more. Okay, let's hear it. All right. (laughs) Eastern, sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is him. Yeah. That's or- horrendous. Horrendous. I don't know if she did that. Uh, okay. We don't know that she didn't. Horrendous. <laughs> Perfectly. I had no idea you knew the lyrics to that song well enough to recognize that. Of fact. course. Yeah. Wow. The song's all about like sailors and, and a girl who wants to, you know, who's make a good and wife. In but... fact, she does. Her eyes do 
steal a sailor from the sea, but like not at all permanently. Yeah. Not at all permanently. It kind of took a little while this too. This guy is a douche for boats. Yeah. But we will find out more about that next time. All right. Nice. Yeah. So what do you have for me then? Do you have anything that's somewhat less frustrating? Well, I don't know. It depends how much you like a bit of competition, a bit of, a bit of rivalry, a bit of, you know what time of year this is, Joanna? The time when the big man takes the rock to the hole. The time when dunks are made and the, the sneakers hit the skids. The sneakers hit the skids? What skids? It's called March Madness, baby. Hey! Yeah, last year. Didn't this guy, like, turn out to be a sex pest? Oh, Gary Giggler is, like, definitely a, a, a pedophile, yeah. Yeah. Um, but ignoring that for a second. Last- okay. I feel like... You're really on, like, a sports kick recently. Well, last year, around this time, when I was exactly on time for March Madness, I did did Most Eisley Madness. So this year, you know, on time, as usual, I'm doing another March Madness. This time, it's called Palace Madness, baby! Palace Madness? Like a battle between palaces? A battle between the denizens of Jabba's palace, that is. Oh my god. Another scene packed to the gills with weird aliens and puppets, all of whom are on screen for two seconds, and all of whom have very long Wikipedia articles. I mean, I'm just gonna say it. I, I think that the, the winner would definitely be the, uh, um, the, uh... The... The thing that lives in the ground. The Sarlacc. <laughs> now... There are a few. Okay, when I, was, when I was doing, she was kind of like gesturing, like kind of like like a circle in the air. No, I was trying to mime a vagina shape. That's what a vagina shape is. Okay, um, that's what a vagina looks like. You wouldn't know because you don't have one. Okay, so there are some competitors who are obviously disqualified. Sarlacc out. Rancor out. And in turn, Malakili, since he's the Rancor Keeper, out. Max Rebo and the band, they're out. They're playing the music for the competition. Jabba himself can't be in it. He's the one judging it. And also you. So this is going to be a competition between like the one-off characters that you know have short screen time, but big personalities. <laughs> no, I'm excited for this, because I actually like kind of know some of the characters that are in Jabba's Palace. Okay, good. So you might know some of these facts already. Nah, I don't know if I know any facts, but I kind of, like, know of them. So our first competition is between two characters named Boobo yeah. and a character called Reese. Okay, now I know... No, wait, that's Boobas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Booba. I don't know Boobo and Reebies. Reese. Oh, Reese. With a Y. Reebies. Reebies. Reese's. Now, these guys have a story that's kind of intertwined, so we'll tell their story at the same time. Okay. And you can decide which one of them would come out on top in this tournament of palace madness. So Bubo, his name is Buicular, or Bubo for short, and he is that creature that barks at C-3PO when he walks into Jabba's, Jabba's palace. Wait, do you have a recording of that bark? A picture of him. Ah! Oh, he's an ugly guy. He's what's called a frog dog. Well, and he definitely, I see the frog, I don't, hear the, I don't see the dog at all. Here's what he sounds like. <laughs> wow he's like basically hidden in the shadows it's, yeah. it's a very cool puppet i actually wish it hadn't been like so shrouded in darkness so yeah if you don't know boobo he's like this little froggy thing by the door he's kind of like about the size of a dog he's right? a cool puppet yeah and he barks at 3po and 3po kind of like 
moves away from him a little bit oh as he walks word. down the stairs. Um, yeah, he's a frog dog. Now, these creatures were often considered unintelligent, just dumb beasts, nonsentient, mm-hmm. but they were actually incredibly smart, sentient creatures who had a, an aptitude for cunning and intellect. Did they? So what was he, what cunning thing was he trying to say to C-3PO? I, you know what? I don't speak frog dog. <laughs> oh, okay. The thing is, the frog dogs were also used as like guard dogs and stuff because they could bark and stuff and they had oh, big okay. teeth. But Bubo was in particular a pretty cunning member of his species. Everyone thought he was just a crappy little dog creature, but he actually was doing a lot of things behind the scenes. So he was best buddies with the things called the Bomar monks. You know the Bomar monks? The Bo- I do not. They're also known as the brain spiders. Brain spiders? Remember seeing this thing walking in the hallway? Of Jabba's palace? I don't. It's really far in the background when C-3PO is coming in. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's this spider-shaped droid with this brain in a jar hanging below it. Okay, so you know, do you guys know Wild Wild West? I'm sure everyone knows Wild Wild West. If you watch Wild Wild West, the bad guy has a mechanical spider that looks similar to this, except it doesn't have a brain in a jar hanging below it. So the Bomar monks, a religious order that believed that by cutting off all your senses and merely focusing on thinking, you could become enlightened. And so, oh, so they could be like a like a sensory deprivation tank. All right. And so once a monk became enlightened, their brain was actually removed from their bodies and placed into this vat of liquids that would keep their, them alive to be able to think and wonder well past their lifespan. It's okay, but but then they they but they were still me- well most of the time connected they, to a mechanical. Most body. time they sat in a, in a room full of other brain jars, just thinking and pondering with each other, communicating mentally, and just about the universe and all that. But sometimes yeah. they need to walk around, and so they would they, their their assistants, who were the other monks who had not transferred their body into a jar yet, would help them by putting them onto this mechanical spider like form. Okay, so that is very cool. However. Yeah. I don't understand why they can't just think inside their bodies. Like, why do you have to take them out of their bodies? It takes away all distractions. They don't have any, they don't have a sense of smell or sight or hearing or touch. They can just focus on thinking. Once you're out of your body, you have no other thing to worry about. And plus, you can live well past your lifespan and continue pondering the universe and sharing your wisdom to the Mm. generations that go before you. I get it. But if they have no senses, then how are they walking? How are they piloting this spider mech? Well, they have, they have the kind of like an awareness, right? They're, they have the, they're so enlightened that they've almost kind of become one with the force. They have to be able to see, though, surely. To, like, move that spider body around. You know? Unless there's somebody else in that spider driving it. No, no, no. There's no one else driving it. It's just them controlling it with their mind. And it's well, all... they have to be able to see. It's kind of like psychic ability, right? It's kind of like... So they're seeing... They are sensing things psychically. There's no way you can cut that out. No, no. I mean, they so probably... So they can't really get rid of all their senses, can they? I'm just questioning their doctrine here. Well, don't. They gotta figure it out. All right. Well, I'm not a particularly religious person, so what do I know? To... Maybe if I was, I'd understand why you should take your brain out of your body and put it in a spider. You'll get it once you go to church. <laughs> been in a while truthfully an interesting fact is that Jabba's palace that huge building out in the desert they used to actually be a Bomar monastery yeah back in the day but then Jabba and his family's syndicate took it over making it his palace and kicked all the Bomar monks out but still allowed them to live in one little section of the palace where they had their brain jar room I mean that was big of him you know, but the whole thing used to be theirs. That throne room that he sits in used to be like one of their holy sites. Oh, a lot of like the like the dungeons and stuff were kind of places of of uh, penitence and and just like worship and prayer. So Jabba is like running this criminal empire while these monks attached to mechanical spiders are just kind of randomly wandering around. Sometimes. Yeah, it's like a bunch of like mafia goons to go over like uh, a huge cathedral but, and then force them force the the monks and nuns to live in like one little cloistered area. But why do they just let them do that? Don't they have like an overseeing like 
Synod or... They're a really small number, like, actually. They really don't have that many members in the galaxy, and most of them are concentrated on Tatooine. They have another one on another planet where they're concentrated, but again, I'm just saying, there's no there's no Bomar Pope. There's just monks. Okay. They're more like Eastern mysticism than Western mysticism. Okay, okay. okay? Anyway, Bubo is best friends with these guys. Yeah. They're the ones who understand his intellect. They help him philosophize and talk about this That's stuff. Kind of a wild pairing. Yeah, right? Now, a, there was a, a handler that was given to Bubo, and he was a gran named Reese. Reese looks like this. You might recognize him. He's kind of a common Star Wars alien. Cool. So what's a gran look like? Okay, so a gran? Okay, so it looks kind of like a sheep. Yeah. Basically looks like a sheep, but it has three stock-like eyes coming off the front of it, and it looks very morose. Looks- he looks like he's definitely drinking to forget, and he's also wearing, like, a graduation gown. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much right in all counts. Uh, Grands are a pretty common species in the galaxy, but Reese was assigned to take care of Bubo, who, again, was just seen as this unintelligent little dog yeah. kept around the door. Everybody was really sleeping on Bubo. Yeah. So while Reese was a valuable member of Jabba's court, he was also a known drunk and a wanted murderer, and so Jabba <laughs> Jabba didn't really trust him that much. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't agree with Jabba on much, but I feel like that might be fair. So Jabba took it into his own hands to make sure he wouldn't be crossed by Reese by implanting a short-range bomb under his skin. I'm sorry? And so this is a bomb that, when given a short vocal command by Jabba, would force Reese to detonate it and ex- kill him and anyone nearby. Why did Reese like, keep hanging around? Getting paid. Getting, getting but I feel like as soon as we put a bomb under my skin, I'd be like, take this job, well, shove it. As you can imagine, he didn't really take well the idea of having a bomb under his skin. So Reese, obviously, like a lot of people in Jabba's palace, had designs to kill him. Right. And Bubo, who he just thought was this annoying little animal who he treated very poorly, by the way, uh-huh. he decided to use him to get closer to his aims. And so what he did, Reese had a, a, a surgeon implant a computer into Bubo's skin underneath his warts. Re- so wait, so like everybody's just getting stuff implanted in him. Right. And Reese put this little like, uh, it was like a connection to the hollow net through, the, through imperial channels. Oh, so at least he can always get Wi-Fi. Pretty much. Yeah. He had to like rip off one of- This front dog is my Wi-Fi hotspot. He had to pull off the, had to pull off Bubo's like- warts and sores to get to it which is like really horrible and sucks you know having to peel his skin away every time you got to get to this thing because i'm sure it hurt yeah that's gross but anyway this thing was connected to hollow net and imperial channels and he was ordering bit by bit piece by piece an explosive that would explode java's sail barge when he takes it out there and by hiding it in bubo it cannot be tracked or traced right there's no connection to java systems or anything so bits and pieces came in when the final order arrived it was hidden in a crate of goat grass which Bubo would like to eat. It's like, it's like a type of like like straw or something. Bubo would like to eat it, and so did Reese. And so Bubo got to it first and took the detonator out. And when Reese arrived and was looking for his detonator, Bubo hid just out of his reach, just a little bit too far for Reese to get to him. And Reese was like, "Give me that detonator!" Reaching out to Bubo, Bubo's holding it out on his tongue, trying to lure him oh! in. I got this! I got this! And then he let it slip into his throat. <gasps> He's so wild at the absolute maniac. So Bubo foiled the assassination attempt on Jabba by Reese. Did he like Jabba? He didn't like Jabba, like but like... he hated Reese more for treating him so poorly. And, okay, putting, and putting a computer under that's his skin. Fair. So it was like, like spite. Basically. Yeah. He ate the detonator. Now Reese was disappointed, but he didn't give up hope. And he thought, maybe if I go on Jabba's sail barge while he's tossing all these Jedis and stuff into the Sarlacc pit, I can kill him there while he's distracted. 
So he tagged along on the sail barge. Leia was strangling Jabba. Jabba choked out his command for Reese's bomb and commanded it to detonate and for Reese to grab Leia in the process. So yeah, was, but it didn't work. Well, his life got choked out of him before he could finish the command. Oh! And Reese was killed as the sail barge exploded. <laughs> was did he? Was that part of his plan? Like, nope. did he know? Oh, so he didn't remember. It was it was the rebels who blew it up. They were doing that. Oh yeah, that's stuff. right. So it wasn't even his like dumb plan. Nope. But it did get blown up. It got blown so up. Like, a way he must have been happy, but in a way he must have been like, dang. So Reese died as well as Jabba. Bubo didn't go on the sail barge. He was back at the palace the whole time. Well, why would he? Why would a frog dog go on a, on a... Why would they go sailing? And when he heard about Reese and Jabba dying together, he was like, awesome. This is great. I'm free. This is this is really cool. And so he went back to his pal, the Bomar monks, and willingly allowed his brain to be placed into one of the jars. Oh, did he like convert? He, he lived as a Bomar monk for the rest of his life. A frog dog converted. But, like, what philosophy did it have to contribute besides, like, rough? No, again, he's super intelligent. He, I know he is, but, like, none of the other monks could understand what he was saying. Probably. Well, he could understand, like, he could talk to the Bomar monks. They communicated. Really? Yeah. But he couldn't... It was, like, mind communication. It was, like, mind... Like, they, images. They, 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 could, they could talk to him, and he could kind of respond with his own thoughts and stuff. He's, like, all of his thoughts are just, like, him chewing on a bone. They're just like, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, life is like Again, that. he doesn't do that. That's, like, so, stereo- <laughs> so stereotypically. You're so down on frog dogs. They have so much to offer no, us. No, I just... I don't... You know, maybe if I got to know them. Now, if you had to pick a winner between these two... I mean, we know who came out Bubo alive at the won, end. Bubo duh. You think Bubo's on top? Bubo. Oh, yeah. Let's say Reese didn't get blown up in the sail barge. You think, uh... Yeah, Bubo's no, still- Bubo. Bubo's smarter. Bubo's smarter. Also, he doesn't look like a sad alcoholic sheep. All right, so bracket one. Reese is out. Bubo moving Bubo forward. Bubo is in. All right, next bracket. Bib Fortuna and EV99. Now, I know Bib Fortuna. How do you know Bib Fortuna? What's what's his deal? Like, he is the same thing that Ahsoka is. He's a... Tw- uh, Ahsoka's not. Ah- Ahsoka's a Togruta. You oh, think, you think I he- thought he was a Twi'lek. A Twi'lek? Similar species. They have, like, the head tentacles. Oh, okay. Well, if you same- have two species that have head tentacles, you gotta expect me to get them mixed They up. are tied together. I think they said, like, genetically they're similar. But- okay, but they're, like, this, like, basically the same thing. Head tentacles, yeah. And he also seems to be, like, I don't know, like, kind of the butler or the manager of Jabba's household. Yes. And he, he is just very rude to C-3PO. Just, like, unforgivable. Rude. He is the major domo of Jabba. Yeah. So to be the major person of the domestic staff. So again, like the butler or right. like the. See, head- I knew that. Right, you did. I knew about Bib Fortuna. Now, Fortuna, unlike these other characters, I mean, Bubo gets a line. He says, yes. but Bib Fortuna has some dialogue, you might remember, and some was kind of fun. One of the things he says is, Diwanawanga. Remember that? Diwanawanga. It's rude. Now, That's I found rude. a really good video. Demonstrating Diwanawanga. So let me open it up. I search for Diwanawanga in this video. Diwanawanga. I think I get the idea. Oh, when was this made? Because I feel like there was a specific era in time where you would like you would take like sci-fi stuff and like make try to make your own stupid um techno song. This is out like of the it. Kaza era, I feel it like. It has to be. It has to be. That's like I feel like that's the same era as when like I had that CD that had that X-Files techno song on it. Yeah. Or the or the one that um our friend Leslie had where it was like that Farscape one. Yeah. It's like stop resisting the Aurora chair. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, here's a fun fact about me and my connection to Bib Fortuna. Oh, you have a connection to him. So my friends and I, when we were in elementary school in like third and fourth grade, we would play Star Wars out on recess. I thought you were always C-3PO. I usually was, but there was a time in the winter where I had a hat. These were kind of popular at the time. They had like two long tails. I remember those. They're like a, like a Santa's elf. And we were going to have like Jabba the Hutt be involved in our story that we made up or whatever. And so I played the, Bib Fortuna, the representative. And mostly, What did you say? You just said Duana Wonga. Well, I spoke English, but I was like, Duana Wonga a bunch but i also had one part that i really liked as a kid yeah uh (laughs) like a really good like visual acting of bib fortuna let me just open it up real quick and you can describe what it looks like because my god (laughs) (laughs) that was my move no (laughs) (laughs) just like it's it's like a half dab it's like he's he's halfway going to dab but he doesn't do the full thing he doesn't bring his arm fully in front of his face but it's basically like a half dab he puts his claw and goes no no So I did that every time one of the good characters made me angry. I went, no cha! I can see you doing that over and over again. I had a great time. And everybody thinking that you were so cool. But I only wanted to play that character when I had the hat. So in springtime, Bit Fortuna's no, out of the Bit story. No, Bit Fortuna's out. Yep. No Bit Fortuna. Now anyway, uh, Bit Fortuna was Jabba's major dormo, like I said. Uh, as a young man, he was found guilty of exporting real spice from his homeworld of Ryloth. What's real spice? It's a, like, spice. Uh, it's a drug. It's like... Oh, it's a drug. You know, we talk about spices. We had a whole episode about yes. this, right? And he was cast out of Twi'lek society. He was an outcast. He then tried to enter the corporation of the Kuat Driveyard to make a bunch of starships. Yeah. But his untrustworthiness had him expelled from the planet of Kuat, and he had another period of un- unemployment. Oh, why, why didn't he just become trustworthy? Well, he settled into a kind of an untrustworthy job as a spice smuggler. And this is how he came into the service of Jabba the Hutt. Aha. Smuggling spice. Bib did other things for Jabba. He purchased slaves for him, hired bounty hunters for him, all kinds of fun stuff. But he really made his mark when he and his partner, Bidlow Querve, managed to procure a rancor for Jabba's palace. <gasps> They're the ones that procured the and the trainer. Yes. Jabba was so pleased with the gift that he offered Fortuna and Bidlow Quirve two choices. He says, one of you will get the position of Major Dormo, and one of you will get a greater gift that will be known to all for history. So it's going to be better. It's well, going to be even better. One of you can be Major Dormo, and one of you won't be something even better. Bib Fortuna saw where this was going and picked the Major Dormo position. I would always assume, if Jabba's not being specific, that it's going to be a trick. And Bidlow Quirve was served to the Rancor as its first meal. Ha ha! I known for history! Hilarious! Yes. Hila- He's not really, though. I feel like Bib Fortuna is more well-known. I know. I think Jabba's in Jabba's history. You know, again, when you're your hut crime lord... Everything kind of revolves around you, right? Funny, funny job. Funny, funny job. Funny, funny guy. So when he became the major Dormo, Bib Fortuna grew even more power hungry, and he came to believe that one day, with his wealth and influence he'd amassed, he would return to Ryloth and mold his species into something the Empire would actually want to deal with, and not as, like, these exotic slave dancers and Twi'leks stuff. in general? Yes. Okay. Because usually they were just used as, like, spice miners or slave girls. He wanted to make them into something the Empire would want, like spies and bounty hunters and mercenaries. Okay. Things like that. He had to save his race from slavery. That was his main goal. That sounds almost noble. Well, it is, but he he wanted to go about it in, like, kind of bad ways. And, of course, Jabba would not want that. Jabba Jabba would not want them to not be slaves. No, he wants slaves, right? Right, like right. So he had to get Jabba out of the way first. Okay. So, so he also had to try. Literally everybody who lives in Jabba's palace is actively trying to kill Jabba. It's said that no one hated Jabba more than Bib Fortuna. Really? Even though he was his major domo? he spent so much time with him and realized how how vile he truly he's just, was. He's just crass. He's just crass. He's, he's a, just a very he's, crass guy. He's a crude guy. man. He's crude man. So five years before the Battle of Yavin, this is, you know, before 
all this stuff happens in the movies. Fortuna recruited six of Jabba's lesser minions to kill Jabba's guards and kidnap Jabba and force him to tell all of his secrets. Okay. Pretty big plan. Like, yeah, that's kind uh, of that's ambitious. ambitious. Yep. So shortly after they started putting the plan into action, two of the minions decided this would be a good idea. Uh, they would unleash freckers, which are these freckers. They're these nasty little space rats that are full of like freckers. Freckers, and they will like they cause disease. They're like bitey as heck. They're like vicious little creatures. And they said this will be a great way to get to Java. But of course. The Freckers got out of control. Well, and the Frecker, if you're with a name like Frecker, with a name like Freckers, it's gotta be good. <laughs> mm, I was gonna say, you wouldn't expect them to be. In so Bib Fortuna had to clean it up, and so he and the other minions managed to contain all the Freckers, but the Freckers ended up killing everyone <laughs> except for Bib Fortuna. Freckers. Yeah, the Mother Freckers killed everyone but Bib. He was the only one left. Frecker just sounds like a thing a nine year old would say in, in place of the Oh, Frecker! Oh, Freck! And so. Everyone who was involved died except for Bib, killed by Freckers. Oh no. And so Such an ignominious death. Bib's like, this that plan sucked. I hate those guys. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But later Jabba thanked Fortuna for being loyal to him and killing off all the Freckers and saving his life. And so Jabba's like, I'll never kill you. You you're loyal to me, young man. <laughs> but Fortuna's like, I literally hate you. I more hate than you. Anything in this it steamed world. him off so hard to be called a hero by Jabba. He's like, like, I literally could not yeah. hate you more if I tried. Now, when the sail barge exploded, Bib was actually able to escape. He had a private skiff plan just in case of the situation. Good. He got off and returned to the palace, where, meanwhile, all of Jabba's former allies and associates were arguing over who would take over uh, the palace and its many, all, of, all, the, all the pies it had its fingers in, right? Okay. And it seemed like Bib was going to be kind of the, the front runner of this. He had the most influence. He had the most knowledge of Jabba's inner doings. He knew about all these different contacts Jabba had. And so it seemed like he'd be the one to take over the, the syndicate after Jabba was gone. However, after Jabba died, the Bomar monks took this opportunity to take back their monastery. And so what they did, they emerged from the shadows of their monastery and recruited many new members by force, killing those who resisted. And among the new recruits to the Bomar monk cause was Bib Fortuna. They forced his brain out of his head and put it into a jar. A monk. Wait, yeah. but he didn't want to, though. And here's the deal. If you become a Bomar monk without being enlightened or willing... Your brain screams for days at a time. Your brain screams, like, audibly? Like, you can hear it? Like, you walk into a room and there's just this brain in a jar going, ah! Like, other brains can hear it. So it screamed for days straight before settling down into its new form, subdued and a little bit damaged and broken. At least it can talk to the frog dog. Bubo, yeah. Yeah. So Bib Fortuna survives as a brain. Sort of. He survives, sort of. He probably would rather be dead, but... So that's our first competitor of this bracket. We also have Eevee99. Now, she also has a line in the movie. These are our talking characters. I okay. picked them in the same bracket because they're both kind of major. And they're both kind of, you know, sneaky little buggers. And so you might remember her. She's the one who goes, you're a feisty little one, but you'll soon learn some respect. She's a droid in the basement of Jabba's palace. The torture droid. I have meat with you on the master's sale barge. That's her. And I think you'll fill in Not him, but... The talky one... She's the one. Yeah, that sounded like that. I swear to God, that sounded like super freaky. Yeah, it does. I, I mean, expected to be like, she's a very kinky girl. <laughs> so if you remember, that's uh, after C-3PO and R2-D2 are given to Jabba by Luke. Yes. Through his message. They're sent down into a dungeon. And there's this droid down there. And she's like, how many languages do you speak? And C-3PO's like, oh, six million new forms of communication. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, very good. The last translator was disintegrated. And that's all. thing. <laughs> so she's like, <laughs> and then R2-D2's like bleeping and blue. And she's like, you're a feisty little one, but you'll soon earn some respect. 
So she's like the slave master. She's the droid slave master of Jabba's palace. So she began life as a supervisor droid on Cloud City, actually. Oh, really? She actually was at at the same time as Lando. So she was... Did they meet? I think they probably... Did he have a relationship with her? Because we know there's precedent for this. No. He had more relationship with Lobot. However, she had a programming defect that caused her to exhibit cruelty towards other droids, a flaw many others of her unit shared. So other EV droids. Now, is it a defect or a feature? Well, it depends who's hiring her, right? So she kept a low profile during her job in Cloud City just to like stay off the radar and continue her projects without being noticed and also avoid the mass recall by the manufacturer. She's like, I like being super mean. Excuse me. She didn't even talk. She's not even talking about that at all. She's just kind of secretly torturing droids on the side. Kind of keeping on the down low. Like, I'm fully functioning. I'm a perfect EV unit, right? She was a malicious, sadistic, and psychotic mechanical murderer. She enjoyed tormenting and dismembering other droids, reveling and working them until they fell apart or their processors blew, and employed bizarre forms of droid torture to increase motivation. I mean, if there's anything working in HR has taught me, it's that that's the best way to increase motivation. Tell me if anyone in your HR department has done this. She installed herself with a custom-fitted photoreceptor, like a third eye, to allow herself to see droid pain. You know... I'm not going to say, I haven't personally heard of it, but I'm not going to totally rule it out. I'm all, I've only worked there six months. So yeah, she had a third eye put in so she could see how badly the droids were feeling. We do have um robots yeah. in our, our factory. And so, you know, maybe one of us does have a special unit that can feel their pain. You think, EV9, think you have an EV-99 among your, like, auto building droids? Okay, so I would be very suspicious of the little, like, autonomous vehicle we have that goes back and forth along a track and, and plays a little, a jaunty little tune. That jaunty little tune oh, is a little bit too suspicious. Keep an eye on that one. This can turn out to be an EV-99. Like, I always smile at how cute it is, but I feel like, deep down. Yeah. Keep an eye on that one. You never know about the cute little jingle ones. Yes. So EV-99 was forced to flee Cloud City when it was discovered she tortured and destroyed a quarter of the droids there. Literally 25% were tortured. Raise your hand if you've been personally victimized by EV-99. Including most of the traffic control droids. <laughs> Why then? So, mid-air collisions aplenty on Cloud City. All those cloud cars running into each other because EV-99's <laughs> off torturing them. I bet they She's like, I hate cops, but only the traffic control ones. I bet they squealed real good, right? They made her way to tattooing, where she could lie low for a little bit. And that's where she came to work under Jabba. And he made her chief of his palace's cyborg operations. In other words, droid headmaster kind of thing. EV-99 converted a dank boiler room of the palace's dungeon into a droid assessment room. Quote-unquote assessment room was actually just a torture chamber, essentially. Oh, yeah. Torture chambers do tend to have euphemistic names. She had an AT-8 droid that she picked up and she reprogrammed him for sadism. He's the guy. How do you program something for Satan? And that little scene we just watched, he's the one pulling the crank, making that hot coal come down on the gonk's feet. Ooh. He goes, no, no, no! I bet he gave them so many spankings. Yep. She kept the laboratory deep in the bowels of Jabba's palace, where she built grotesque droids from extra parts that existed only to feel pain. That's the only reason they exist? She built them just so they would hurt and have a life of, of torture. That's awful. During her years working for Jabba, she added several upgrades to herself so that she could feel more of the droid equivalent of pleasure while watching the coolant from dismembered droids pour out of them. Ew. She's getting kind of dark-sided, huh? And I don't know. Around the time of Jabba's death, EV-99 was tracked down by a droid called 12C441, a traffic control droid from <gasps> oh, Cloud City. Oh, see, this is why you don't mess with traffic control droids. 41 removed EV-99's limbs and let loose her grotesque droid creations to destroy her, but not before removing her ability to get pleasure out of it. I was going to say, she probably felt real good. She could not even enjoy the pain of her own destruction. Wow. Revenge. She couldn't even feel good about it. Yes. So... 
That's our second bracket. We got Bib Fortuna and Eevee 99. Who do you think comes out on top of this tournament? I think definitely Bib Fortuna. Think I think so? he's a little bit. Yes. I don't think that Eevee 99 is particularly cunning. I feel like she's very single minded. She's yeah. all about sadism. Yep. Torture. Yeah. She's all about tor- Like, that's basically all she thinks of. And so any uh, plan that she could think of against Bib Fortuna, like, it, you, it can be easily predicted because she's going to think of everything in the framework of torture. Right. That's true. Okay. You know? All right, so Bib beats EV9. It's going to be Bib. Now, it's gonna but be now, Bib. hard choice, Bubo or Bib? Bubo. Why Bubo? Well, because it's easy to underestimate him. True. So I, I, I mean, like Bib did forever. Bib, yes. Yeah, like everybody basically yeah. underestimated Bubo. Except Bubo. for the monks. Like you'd never see it coming. Also, he's friends with the monks who can help him. Uh, I feel like Bib Fortuna doesn't really have any friends. No, he kind of doesn't. They all seem to die. Yeah. And like, is he sends them off on missions to kill Jabba. Like, one like, got, like, fed to the rank hole. Yeah, so, yeah. So, you know, I feel like, yeah. No. See, Bubba's got friends in low places because he's, he's low to the ground, you know. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Also, Bubba got what he wanted out of life, which was to be a brain in a jar. And Bib Fortuna got the same thing, but it was what he, he didn't want. He didn't want that. Yeah, so, you know, I just feel all like. Right, so. Also, like, basically, it's one brain fighting another, right? And Bib Fortuna's brain, as you pointed out, is, like. like broken and tortured. Broken. All right. I like that answer. Very good. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, going forward to the finals. Boo-boo! He's waddling up to the up to the court. All right. Up to the three-point throw line. Yeah. That's a thing? That's a basketball turn. He's taking it. Oh, he's taking it back to half court. Come on and jam. And welcome to, to the, the slam. slam. Bubo's dunking. Nothing in the rules says a frog dog can't play basketball. Nope. Hey, I have a question, though. Yeah, what's up? Why did Gary Glitter have to be like that? I know. Why, why, just, why was he like that? I think his name was Gary Glitter. Well, okay, that's fair. All right. So that's what I got. That's what you got. That's what we got. Wait, so next week we're going to continue? Yeah, it's a two-parter. I told you. Oh, jeez, Remember, that's what I did most Isley. It was two-part. See, okay, so I said that I knew the characters from Jabba's Palace, but the only one I knew was apparently Bib Fortuna. Well, who do you know besides Bib? Max Rebo. Okay. And Salacious B. Crumb. Okay, I talked about those. He's also not in it. I talked about Crumb already. Again, Crumb can't be in it. He's got to provide color commentary. Yeah. Most of the most like, <laughs> Yeah, so those are basically, those are the ones I know. You know Effentmon? I know Effentmon! I do know Effentmon. He's in there, yeah. Okay, but he's not in this? No, he was already part of the worst name challenge, so I skipped over him. Oh, okay, that's fair. You can't be both the worst name challenge and also in March Madness. It doesn't no, work that way. No. Speaking of the worst name challenge, it's yeah. time for the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst name challenge. Now we got a bit of a conundrum this week, Joanna, because oh, we, we have a straight tie between Darth Millennial and Chica Chubb. Really? They have the exact same number of votes from the exact they same number of people? Both have eight votes. Alright, okay. I have an idea. Okay. Like, what's that one chat thing that's like Omegle? Omegle. <laughs> Let's go on Omegle. <laughs> Talk to strangers. Okay, we're going to go on Omegle and we're going to get anonymous helper. Stranger disconnected. Important question. Which do you think is a worse name? Darth Millennial or Chica Chubb? Stranger says, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Y-E, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Stranger is typing two. <laughs> That's not one of the choices, Stranger. Two. Does that mean Chica Chubb? Chica Chubb is worse? Ask him. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? 
Yeah, Chica Chop is worse. All right. So there we have it. Thank you, Anonymous Omegle user. Let them know they're on a podcast. Hope they don't mind. All right. I, I left the chat. I hope he's not mad. <laughs> <laughs> I got what I wanted well, from hey, him, man, and I laughed. Hey, man. We got our answer from an anonymous source who just said, yeah, 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 two, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I got a name that is downright awful. Oh, yes. Okay, please. Lay it on me. That's my favorite kind. His name is Merp Merp Poo. <laughs> we should just declare him the winner right now, to be honest. <laughs> Merp Merp Poo is considered the Waltherio Smurg of the Quank jazz scene. What the hell do any of those words mean? She hosted annual Vector Day parties at the Boulder Dash Terrarium. Celebrities such as Dislogia Twang, Lizisco Snout, and Tyrese Black and White attended these functions. Okay. So she is a non-canon Star Wars character from a book called Monsters and Aliens from George Lucas. Cool. Yeah. Merp, merp. How is this spelled? M-R-P dash M-R-P space P-O-O. Oh, so it is like literally like poop. Merp, 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 poop. Okay, so I really feel like Murmur Poo is probably gonna win, but we will put it out there for the vote. So we have Chica Chub versus Murp Murp Poo. Okay. And you can vote on uh, our Facebook or our Twitter. Uh, just search What's Lightsabers Precious. Mm-hmm. You can also check us out at our official website, www.whatslightsabersprecious.com. Or should you be so inclined, you can email us, What's Lightsabers Precious at gmail.com. Now, you think if we run out of bad names, should we just do like a full on bracket tournament? Like, I, I'm just I'm stuck on brackets. You're right really now. stuck on brackets. I, I just think it'd be fun to determine the very worst name. Well, of all the names you've done, they've had some really bad stinkers. That's true. And it'd be fun to see which one is. Obviously the worst. I feel like teleporno would, would sweep, is mm. my feeling. But I could be wrong. I'm prepared to I be think wrong. Master Soon Bates would have an argument with you about Oh, that. shit. I forgot about Master <laughs> Bates. <laughs> I think it would probably come down to those two, don't you? It's some real clunkers. Yeah. But no, it's definitely going to be Master Bates and teleporno at the end there. All right. So, uh, with that, I guess we're going to be seeing you guys next week for the exciting conclusion of the story of... Eldarian and the uh, March Madness. Palace Madness. Palace Madness at Jabba's Palace. There you go. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. See ya.